0: chapter nine of abraham lincoln a history volume eight this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox abraham lincoln a history volume eight by john hay and john george nicolay chapter nine the line of the rapidan general meade crossed the potomac with very little delay the eighteenth of july found his whole army on the virginia side his plan for the pursuit of lee was not unlike that of mcclellan a year before but although he displayed much greater expedition and energy in the execution of it than were shown by his predecessor the results through no fault of his own were unimportant general french who had taken no part in the battle of gettysburg had been placed in command of the third corps He was an old officer of the regular army excellent in drill in routine and all the everyday details of the service but entirely unfit for an enterprise requiring great audacity and celerity he was assigned upon this expedition to the duty of throwing his corps through manassas gap and attacking the flank of the enemy as he moved southward by front royal meade succeeded in getting french into the gap in time to have broken the rebel army in two but when he attacked it was in so inefficient a manner and with so small a portion of his force that the day was wasted and the enemy made their way down the valley to the lower gaps this failure was a source of deep mortification to general meade and it is difficult to understand why general french was retained in command of his corps it was a great error and resulted in still more serious damage later in the campaign the pursuit of the enemy was not continued further and on the twenty ninth of july the president wrote a letter to general halleck stating that he had inferred from one of general meade's dispatches that he thought the government was pressing him to an engagement with lee that this impression was erroneous that he was opposed to it unless such a course was in harmony with halleck's and meade's views that if it were imprudent to attack at williamsport it was certainly more so now that meade had no more than two-thirds of the force he had then that he was in favor at williamsport of meade's crossing and harassing the enemy this had been done and now he was rather in favor of delay than immediate attack and he desired general halleck to make this known to meade unless he saw good reasons to the contrary the months of august and september were a period of repose for the army of the potomac it was in fact in no condition to undertake active operations a considerable body of troops had been taken from meade for service in south carolina and a strong detachment had been sent to the city of new york for the purpose of enforcing the draft there general lee had retired behind the rapidan for several weeks of rest neither army was ready at that time to attack the other after his victory at chancellorsville and his damaging defeat at gettysburg general lee as well as his army needed a certain period of quiet and recruitment he even thought proper on the eighth of august to offer his resignation to the president of the southern confederacy this offer was of course refused with the utmost promptness and kindness and he was left as before perfectly untrammelled in the conduct of his army not apprehending any immediate attack from general meade he embraced the occasion to grant a large number of leaves of absence they were given as rewards for good conduct to about a fourth of the army in active service to assist and to render certain the great enterprise of braxton bragg against rosecrans in tennessee longstreet's corps early in september was sent to the west this seemed to president lincoln a favorable time to strike the enemy on the fifteenth of september he wrote to general halleck that in his opinion meade should move upon lee at once in manner of general attack leaving to developments whether he will make it a real attack i think the president added this would develop lee's real condition and purposes better than the cavalry alone can do this opinion having been communicated to meade he answered three days later in a dispatch of some length giving a statement of lee's position and concluding i can get a battle out of lee under very disadvantageous circumstances which may render his inferior force my superior and which is not likely to result in any very decided advantage even in case i should be victorious in this view i am reluctant to run the risks involved without the positive sanction of the government mr stanton sent this dispatch to the president for reflection overnight. it evidently gave rise to grave reflections for the next morning mr lincoln wrote to halleck declining to order an attack where the general in the field thinks the risk is so great and the promise of advantage so small and then going on to set forth some of the serious considerations to which the situation gave rise these two armies he says confront each other across a small river substantially midway between the two capitals each defending its own capital and menacing the other general meade estimates the enemy's infantry in front of him at not less than forty thousand suppose we add fifty per cent to this for cavalry artillery and extra duty men stretching as far as richmond making the whole force of the enemy sixty thousand general meade as shown by the returns has with him and between him and washington of the same classes of well men over ninety thousand neither can bring the whole of his men into a battle but each can bring as large a percentage in as the other for a battle then general meade has three men to general lee's two yet it having been determined that choosing ground and standing on the defensive gives so great advantage that the three cannot safely attack the two the three are left simply standing on the defensive also if the enemy's sixty thousand are sufficient to keep our ninety thousand away from richmond why by the same rule may not forty thousand of ours keep their sixty thousand away from washington leaving us fifty thousand to put to some other use having practically come to the mere defensive it seems to be no economy at all to employ twice as many men for that object as are needed with no object certainly to mislead myself i can perceive no fault in this statement unless we admit we are not the equal of the enemy man for man i hope you will consider it to avoid misunderstanding let me say that to attempt to fight the enemy slowly back into his entrenchments at richmond and then to capture him is an idea i have been trying to repudiate for quite a year my judgment is so clear against it that i would scarcely allow the attempt to be made if the general in command should desire to make it my last attempt upon richmond was to get mcclellan when he was nearer there than the enemy was to run in ahead of him since then i have constantly desired the army of the potomac to make lee's army and not richmond its objective point if our army cannot fall upon the enemy and hurt him where he is it is plain to me it can gain nothing by attempting to follow him over a succession of entrenched lines into a fortified city while this discussion was going on longstreet was hastening westward to the help of bragg and the combined confederate army struck rosecrans at chickamauga as we have seen on the nineteenth of september the battle raged among those hills all that day and the next rosecrans retreated to chattanooga representing the position of his army as so critical that strong reinforcements were absolutely necessary to enable him to hold that position secretary chase in his diary has preserved a record of a conference in relation to this matter held at the war department on the twenty fourth between the president the general-in-chief and the secretaries of war state and the treasury mr stanton asked general halleck what reinforcements burnside could add to rosecrans and in what time halleck replied twenty thousand men in ten days if uninterrupted the president then said before ten days burnside will put in enough to hold the place after burnside begins to arrive the pinch will be over halleck thought that in about ten days sherman's advance would reach rosecrans there were a few available troops in kentucky stanton proposed to send at once thirty thousand from the army of the potomac he was growing impatient at general meade's inactivity and thought the army was doing no good where it was the president was unwilling to weaken meade so much as that and had doubts about its being possible to convey so large a force to rosecrans in time the secretaries of state and of the treasury sided with stanton however and it was at length agreed that halleck should telegraph to meade in the morning and if an immediate advance was not certain the eleventh and twelfth corps about thirteen thousand men should be sent westward at once under hooker with butterfield as his chief of staff but even with this reduction of his command after the return of the troops detached to the north meade found himself with an army of about sixty-eight thousand men and knowing this force to be somewhat superior to that of the enemy he resolved to cross the rapidan and attack him but again as so often happened in the history of the contending armies in virginia lee had formed the project of a similar enterprise and began its execution a day or two in advance he had learned of the departure of two corps for the west and on the fifth of october the second corps of which general warren had been put in command and which had been stationed for some time at miller's a point nearest the enemy was marched back to culpeper this mere shifting of a camp probably gave general lee the idea that another corps had been detached from the army of the potomac for four days afterwards he began a flanking movement to the right of the union line general lee's report leaves no doubt of his purpose in this march he says it was made with the design of bringing on an engagement with the federal army in a position of course favorable to himself he was again possessed of the project which he had already three times essayed with more or less incomplete success of coming upon the rear of the national forces destroying them in battle and conquering a peace under the shadow of the capital now as before he was willing to risk the loss of richmond in the hope of gaining the more splendid prize and in this it cannot be said that his calculations were anything but wise general longstreet reports him as using about this time the expression which has been quoted before in regard to swapping queens he advanced by way of madison court-house and by circuitous and concealed roads in order to avoid the observation of the enemy and arrived at culpeper court-house on the eleventh where he was surprised to find that general meade discovering his march and guessing its intentions had already retired behind the rappahannock General Meade, who had been preparing himself to move upon the left flank of his adversary, became aware of the movement of Lee upon the 10th, but he was ill-served by his cavalry. During the first days of this campaign, the mounted service of the Army of the Potomac was decidedly below its usual average of efficiency and intelligence, while Stuart seemed to have recovered all his former powers on the soil of his native state his zeal was even excessive general lee gently rebuked him on one occasion for having sent him eight messages in one day after a part of meade's army had crossed the rappahannock he detached three corps to the south of the river under the mistaken impression derived from the reports of his cavalry that the main body of the enemy was still on that side but he speedily discovered his error and recalled his troops without misadventure the halt which lee was compelled to make at culpeper to provision his troops gave me the opportunity to bring his army well together north of the rappahannock and to inform himself thoroughly of the attitude of his enemy general lee distinctly states his purpose of marching upon the orange and alexandria railroad north of the river and intercepting the retrograde movement of meade it was therefore a race for position between the two generals lee relying upon the celerity of his troops and his own absolute knowledge of every path and byway of the country hoped to reach a point upon general meade's communications where he could establish his army in a favorable position and force meade to fight for his life meade on the other hand misled by all the indications he could gather into the belief that the point which lee especially desired to reach was centreville determined to anticipate him in the occupation of that place and moved his army with all possible speed in that direction the army of the potomac never showed more remarkable qualities than in this singular campaign general lee had ordered his whole force to move in two columns upon bristow station but before they arrived general meade's entire army had passed there on their way to centreville with the exception of the second corps which formed his rearguard the advance of a p hill's corps reached that point just as warren arrived and as the rear of the fifth corps was marching away to the north of broad run hill prepared to make short work of the federal rearguard a brief but stubborn engagement ensued resulting in a complete and brilliant victory for warren and his gallant subordinate general a s webb they repulsed Hill's attack wounding three of his generals killing and wounding some five hundred men and capturing as many more with numerous guns and flags having thus thoroughly beaten back the enemy warren in pursuance of his orders crossed the stream unmolested and joined general meade at centreville general lee coming on the field after the engagement ended surveyed with deep disappointment and melancholy the conclusion of the campaign from which he had expected so different a result hill depressed and mortified at his mishap endeavoured to explain to him the causes of his failure lee says a southern biographer listened in silence as they rode among the bodies of his dead soldiers and replied well well bury these poor men and let us say no more about it general lee made no pretence of any further pursuit he had failed in securing a battle upon ground chosen by himself and he was not willing to repeat the experience of gettysburg in attacking the army of the potomac in position after doing what damage was in his power to the railroad he turned back on the eighteenth towards the line of the rappahannock leaving the cavalry to skirmish for a few days longer with that of the army of the potomac it was a movement in which with the exception of warren's fight at bristow no great credit was won by either side general lee whose easy victories over mcclellan burnside and hooker had bred in the minds of his fellow-citizens of the south an idea of his invincibility was severely criticised for returning from the frontier without a battle and general meade whose successful manoeuvre had thwarted the scheme of lee's campaign was bitterly and most unjustly attacked in the north for what appeared to many a causeless retreat but it seems to be the better opinion of military critics that his action if perhaps lacking in enterprise and daring was in a high degree prudent and discreet he believed that lee was advancing with the purpose of fighting and in this belief he was correct as this purpose is avowed in lee's report he therefore manoeuvred to select a position where he would have the advantage and he selected one with such judgment that lee declined to attack it he might indeed have concentrated his entire army at Bristow Station and obtained, on a grander scale, a victory as brilliant as that which Warren gained there. But he thought Lee was moving upon Centreville, and it is probable that the associations of the Bull Run battlefield made that neighborhood appear to him of evil omen for a decisive contest while he waited in vain for lee's attack in his lines at centreville the president wrote the following letter to general halleck i do not believe lee can have over sixty thousand effective men longstreet's corps would not be sent away to bring an equal force back upon the same road and there is no other direction for them to have come from doubtless in making the present movement lee gathered in all available scraps and added them to hills and ewell's corps." but that is all and he made the movement in the belief that four corps had left general meade and general meade's apparently avoiding a collision with him has confirmed him in that belief if general meade can now attack him on a field no worse than equal for us and will do so with all the skill and courage which he his officers and men possess the honour will be his if he succeeds and the blame may be mine if he fails fortified by this order meade moved forward as lee retired the broken railroads were rapidly repaired and early in the first days of the following month meade was again prepared for an active campaign everything being made ready on the seventh of november the movement was begun with such efficiency celerity and success that its subsequent failure was the occasion of deep disappointment the right wing of lee's army was stationed upon the rappahannock stretching from the bridge at rappahannock station to kelly's ford the federal army moved in two columns general french commanding the left wing and sedgwick the right the left crossed the river at kelly's ford capturing the enemy's rifle-pits and a large number of prisoners on the other side and advanced almost unresisted until ordered to halt to await the movement of the right wing which had met with far more serious resistance at rappahannock station the enemy at that place occupied the northern bank of the river with a strong line of fortifications they held general sedgwick's force in check there during the entire afternoon but towards night general d a russell in command of his own brigade and colonel Emory upton's proposed to storm the works in the gathering darkness and receiving permission attacked with such vigor and skill as to create in the minds of the enemy the impression of a vastly superior force under cover of the twilight he led his brave troops inside the confederate works and in a hand-to-hand scuffle which lasted about half an hour he completely overpowered almost without bloodshed a force fully equal to his own general lee who had been standing with general early on the southern bank as night came on watching the progress of the fight thought from the cessation of the firing that the federal attack had been repulsed until the fugitives rushing over the bridge or coming up dripping from the icy river where they had been swimming announced to him the story of the disaster the confederate brigades of general h t hayes's division which were thus summarily overpowered were commanded by colonel d b penn and colonel a c godwin hayes himself surrendered and afterwards made his escape under cover of the darkness and tumult in company with some hundreds of his troops who had also surrendered the extent of the panic and confusion which accompanied this extraordinary feat of arms may be imagined from a single detail of general hayes's report he magnified russell's and upton's enterprising little column of three thousand men into twenty thousand or twenty-five thousand his loss in killed was two men General Early's loss, including that of the artillery, was six killed, 39 wounded, and 1,629 missing. General Lee reports the loss of General Rhodes at Kelly's Ford as five killed, 59 wounded, and 295 missing. The campaign began and ended with this brilliant day's work the next day being thick and misty was wasted in ineffective reconnaissances and general lee retiring concentrated his army behind the rapidan where it was not considered advisable to follow him a fortnight passed away during which time there was little expectation of an attack from either side the season was growing late and it was reasonable to expect that both armies would go into winter quarters and postpone any movements on a large scale until spring general lee had scattered his army for greater convenience of subsistence over a large extent of country his left wing heavily entrenched rested upon mine run a little tributary of the rapidan the rest of ewell's corps was stationed from that point to orange court house while hill's right wing lay several miles further along and his left extended almost to charlottesville during this fortnight general meade's mind was busily occupied with an enterprising and daring plan for an aggressive campaign he proposed to throw his army across the rapidan by the lower fords which were entirely unguarded to turn the enemy's right and attacking his works in reverse to fight ewell's corps before hill should be able to concentrate on it he intended to cut loose entirely from his base to provision his army with ten days rations in their knapsacks to take with him the least possible amount of artillery and baggage and to travel in short in the lightest marching order the plan bold as it was was not impracticable and deserved a better issue than it met he had according to his own account between sixty thousand and seventy thousand men equipped and armed ready to bring into battle he estimated the force of general lee at some eight thousand to ten thousand fewer which was not far from the fact the marching qualities of his army had been sufficiently tested during the autumn he thought he could calculate accurately upon the distance they could march in a given time and he knew that man for man they were as good soldiers as any in the world it was reasonable therefore for him to expect success in a plan which he had carefully elaborated down to the smallest detail he knew how far up mine run the enemy's fortifications extended he believed that he could march around them in a day and compel a portion of lee's army to meet him in an open field or in as near an approach to one as that wilderness country could furnish he had fixed upon the twenty third of november as the day to start but was prevented by a storm which caused him to postpone the movement until the twenty sixth his first disappointment occurred at the very beginning major-general french was again tardy he arrived at the rapidan later than the time assigned him which delayed the entire movement three hours the banks of the river proved more precipitous than was expected and the river itself was a little broader than the engineers had reported the banks had to be graded and the pontoon bridges patched with trestle work these various causes of delay wasted half a day and the bewildered movement of general french's corps the next day after the army had crossed the rapidan and the other corps had taken the positions assigned to them was again the cause of the loss of several hours by the time the whole army was brought into position in front of Mine run on the twenty eighth the results of this delay and of the use which the enemy had made of it were clearly apparent from the moment when meade's approach to the rapidan was signalled too generally he began the most energetic measures to meet it he issued an address to his army which in its acrid tone shows how much his own spirit naturally generous and amiable had been embittered by his recent lack of success the cruel enemy he says seeks to reduce our fathers and our mothers our wives and our children to abject slavery to strip them of their property and drive them from their homes upon you these helpless ones rely to avert these terrible calamities and to secure to them the blessings of liberty and safety but his reliance was of course not in these angry manifestos. he brought up his scattered troops with the greatest possible expedition his left wing was already well entrenched and he began upon his centre and his right a series of those improvised fortifications which afterwards proved so deadly to the army of grant he doubled his functions of general-in-chief with those of a lieutenant of engineers riding along his lines he indicated with his own hand the positions to be occupied he even directed the working parties who with incredible celerity were felling trees and constructing abattas a p Hill's seasoned veterans built all along the line of mine run double walls of logs which they rapidly filled with earth constructing in this way in the space of a few hours miles of cannon-proof bulwarks shoulder-high when therefore on the morning of the twenty ninth Meade and warren themselves the most accomplished engineers in the federal army surveyed the scene before them and the work they had to do they recognized at once the new difficulties born of the delay of the last twenty-four hours but warren after a careful reconnaissance of the extreme left was convinced that it was still possible by a rapid movement in that direction to overlap the enemy's right and to make an attack there with a reasonable prospect of success he was sent therefore with his corps increased by a division of the sixth, to move upon the enemy's right flank and if possible to outflank and turn him as the short autumn day drew to a close meade received from the right and the left the most encouraging reports as to the feasibility of the attack to be made in the morning from both those directions general sedgwick thought there was a weak point on the extreme right and warren on the left was still stronger and more emphatic in his opinion that he would have no difficulty in turning the enemy french who occupied the centre was more doubtful about his prospects of success and meade therefore took some of his troops and added them to warren intending to rely upon the attack made by the two wings retaining the centre merely as a corps of observation both armies waited in intense excitement through the long wintry night for an attack which each expected to begin at dawn of the next day sedgwick was ready and his attack was just beginning when there arrived from warren instead of the echo of his opening guns for which meade was waiting a dispatch stating that on examining the enemy's lines by daylight they presented so formidable an appearance that he was sure an attack would result in nothing but disaster he therefore assumed the grave responsibility of suspending his movement and of requesting general meade to join him on the ground for a further survey of the situation meade rode over to warren and on looking at the heights on the farther side of the run bristling all over with fortifications which seemed to have sprung up as if by magic as soon as warren's corps came upon the ground he concurred in the view of his lieutenant and countermanded the attack this opinion of the generals in command received a silent but most significant confirmation in the action of the veteran soldiers of the second corps wishing to inform themselves in regard to the work expected of them as soon as the gray light of the wintry dawn rendered surrounding objects visible they crept forward working their way like serpents through the tangled brushwood until they could see the murderous-looking fortifications beyond the run taking account of these fatal obstacles they crawled noiselessly back to their ranks and writing their names on bits of paper they pinned them to their blouses there was not a murmur of fear or of mutiny among them but by this mute and touching demonstration they testified at once to their intelligent appreciation of the hopeless task before them and their readiness to meet an almost certain death in the discharge of their duty It was now out of the question to send Sedgwick in alone upon the right, and to draw a large force under Warren from the left for the purpose of reinforcing him would have occupied so much time that the enemy with that amazing facility for entrenching which they had displayed within the last few days would have made their strong line still stronger before Warren could arrive if general meade had chosen in this situation to throw his army upon the entrenched force of lee and if he had carried those works with the loss of half his force he would have gained a vast access of popularity if he had attacked and failed and brought back to the north of the river as he might easily have done his broken and shattered forces he still would have had the credit which is always given to unsuccessful valor he chose the wiser and more difficult course to acknowledge his campaign a failure and to bring back his army safe and sound from the unfortunate venture without a moment's hesitation after resolving upon this course he carried it out with the greatest skill and energy and general lee rising the next morning and looking forward with exultation to the victory which he imagined already in his grasp found that the army of the potomac had vanished before him like an exhalation so sure had he been of his strength and of his position that on the night of the first of december when one of his generals asked what course should be pursued in case the enemy should not attack he at once replied they must be attacked he had it is said even arranged a plan for an offensive movement against the union left flank but meade had conducted his retrograde movement so promptly and rapidly that no efficient pursuit was possible after mine run the army went into winter quarters a few scattered raids and reconnaissances broke the monotony of the next months the most important of which was a cavalry expedition moving through virginia under command of general kilpatrick it started on the twenty eighth of february and struck the virginia central railroad at beaver dam sending parties out to destroy roads and bridges and on the first of march came in view of the fortifications of richmond the bold troopers excited great terror and panic in the confederate capital but as a matter of course could do nothing against the system of works by which it was surrounded some damage was done but nothing compensating for the cost and loss of the expedition among which the most grievous was the death of colonel ulrich dahlgren son of the admiral whose personal gifts and graces of character no less than his distinguished gallantry and talents as an officer had greatly endeared him to the president and promised a most brilliant future in the course of the raid he became separated from the main body and was surrounded and killed with most of his men no better review of the lost opportunities of this campaign can probably be made than that in which in few words general warren before the committee on the conduct of the war enumerated the occasions which in his opinion had been missed i think we should have advanced on the evening of the third of july after the enemy were repulsed at gettysburg with all the force we had on our left i think we should have attacked the enemy at williamsport on the morning of the twelfth of july we lost another opportunity at manassas gap on the twenty third of july while the enemy was retreating another when the enemy attacked me on the fourteenth of october at bristow we lost a good opportunity after we recrossed the rappahannock on the eighth of november and another was lost in not making the junction we should have made at robertson's tavern before mine run on the twenty seventh of november but he continued and in this opinion most impartial critics will agree with him nearly all these delays and failures i think are due not so much to general meade as to his plans and expectations not being carried out and in another place he gave as a reason for the failure of the army to carry out promptly and efficiently the plans of its general the loss at gettysburg of its three best corps commanders reynolds by death hancock by wounds and meade by promotion chapter nine